Hello, I'm Annalise and welcome to the Feminine Not Feminist podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode. In this, I share my testimony, how I came to know the Lord and then after coming to know the Lord, sanctification and the things that he's taught me and the things that he's brought me through and um, just giving glory to him because he has saved me a sinner. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this. Today we're doing something that we haven't done in a while. We used to do every week, we used to do a, a testimony podcast with someone new, kind of just like a, a random person of my choosing. And this week we're going to do a testimony podcast with Annalise. Um, Annalise is the host of the Feminine Not Feminist podcast, which is a new podcast as part of the Optive Network. It's done really well in its first couple of weeks. She's been ranked in the top 100 or top 220 countries worldwide. She's been like within a couple uh, podcasts in the rankings of, of John Piper. So shout out to John Piper. Also, we're trying to beat John Piper. <laughs> um, and so she's she's great. She's part of what we're doing at Optive um, and part of the, 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 the larger vision of, of what we're trying to do in the future. And so we thought it'd be good to just do a testimony podcast. For how did she become a Christian? And then what is, how did, has Christ used that to um, move her into what she's doing now? And so without further ado, I mean, the, the structure of this for everybody is that I will basically tell Annalise, you can start at the beginning of your life, mm-hmm. go to when you got saved, and then go from that point till now. And I might cut you off every now and then and just ask clarifying questions, but you just go. And uh, Sweet. So yeah, so All here right. we go. So yeah, my name is Annalise, and I was born in Arizona, and I have very wonderful Christian parents, um, people of extreme sacrificial integrity, So I have heard about Jesus from the very beginning of my life. I grew up in a kind of your, your average Baptist church, um, outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And I have always, my my dad worked in with mission organizations growing up. So when I think about my childhood, I think about a lot of the exposure I had to the world of missions and and parachurch organizations. And that's another conversation. But, um, I remember we would get these magazines from voice of the martyrs, which you may or may not be familiar with, but they're magazines that talk about Christian persecution across the world. And some of my earliest spiritual memories are reading these magazines and reading these stories of Christians being tortured and beaten and having their churches burned down um, for the sake of the gospel. And I remember as a young girl, I would bring these (laughs) magazines into my room and I would sit there and I would read them and feel, I didn't understand what I was feeling when I would read it. And it scared me. It terrified me. Um, and I remember thinking from an early age, wow, if I want to follow Jesus, this is, this is what it means. This, there's a cost. So I've always known from my earliest memories that that being a Christian is not something that you just say and that people have given their lives for it. So that's um, some of my earliest memories as a as a, a, a growing up in my 
home. And then as I began to go into middle school, I had very, very worldly interests, I guess. Uh, I remember I was obsessed with makeup and just anything having to do with beauty and appearance, extremely vain. And it's funny now because that's not <laughs> what I'm into. Um, but I was very, very into all that. And I remember I cut out all these magazine photos and plastered them all over my room and not saying you can't be a Christian and enjoy makeup artistry and all that, but it was extremely vain for me. And one day my mom told me that a friend's dad had unexpectedly died in a car crash. And I remember going up to my room and being really struck by that and looking at the magazines that I had on my wall and seeing with clear eyes how worthless all of that was. And I just remember I just started tearing them down. And I think of that as a, a uh, important moment in my testimony because I was struck with the reality of death, that I wasn't going to be here forever, and that I was prioritizing very transient, vain things. So that was probably age 12 or 13 or maybe even 14. And I, um, I really struggled with the idea that I, I knew Jesus was real. I never doubted that he was God, that he died on the cross for my sins. I had some, I had, I did have a moment where I struggled with the existence of God. And I remember sitting in a chair in my grandfather's house and saying to myself, all right, I'm going to decide right now if I'm going to become an atheist. And I decided in that moment, I did not want to be an atheist. <laughs> and so that was the only real struggling with the existence of God. But I always struggled with the demands of God, what he required of me. And my plan at around age 12 and 13 was that I was going to live the way I wanted, like the world. And when I was 30 years old, I was going to give my life to the Lord. That was my plan. Um, I thought that it was a little risky because, you know, I might die before 30 years old, but I thought, why not? So, um, I, I had a sister, I have a sister who had been going to Bible school around that time, actually in Wisconsin. And she had been praying for me. She had given me a journal and written a note to me about her desire that I would follow Jesus. And I remember reading that note and it just went in one ear and out the other, but she had been praying for me. And one day I went to her room cause I was feeling a lot of turmoil inside because I, I knew that I couldn't be a part, part of the world and partly with Jesus. And I went to her and I expressed some of my struggles and concerns. And she told me a story about a friend that she had who who she had met in Bible school, who had had a realization that if she was going to follow Jesus, it was going to be all in. And if she wasn't going to be to follow Jesus, it was going to be all out. And she had to make a choice. And I remember listening to my sister say, tell me that. And I went back to my room and I felt discouraged because I was like, I don't know how to pick one or the other. I don't feel like I have the, the capacity or the ability to, to choose God. And so I just told God that. I just said, Lord, and I, and I still have the, the 
I wrote it down in my journal and I still have that paper. I think it was May of 20. It was, it was about 10 years ago, but I wrote down, Lord, I don't know how to be on fire for you. I need you to make me love you. And I prayed that. And I'm not sure timeline wise, how much long after it was that I believe that was the moment that I was truly regenerated, that I was born again, that I was given a new heart. And I remember a friend telling me at school, she was like, you are very different. And I, my first memories of what it felt like to be a Christian, I remember sitting in a car and I remember, I think my mom was like going to a doctor's appointment. I was just waiting in the car or something. And I remember feeling like I wasn't alone and that I could be content. Like I always wanted entertainment in my life and I no longer felt like I just wanted to be entertained because I had the presence of God with me. And I just remember having these moments where I was like, wow, I can be anywhere at any time and I'm with Christ. And so that was one of my earliest experiences as a Christian was the presence of God and that I had this friend that was never going to leave me or forsake me. So that was about age 15. And I started getting rid of all my makeup (laughs) and getting rid of certain clothes. And I started dressing differently. And my friends were like, I remember bringing makeup to them at school and they were like, why are you giving us makeup? And I was like, well, I, I, I need it. I need to give, I need to get rid of it to be closer to God. That's not a theological statement. I'm just saying Mm -hmm. (laughs) my experience. So I just to clarify, you're, you're, you wanted to get rid of that because you felt like it was getting in the, in the way, like, like that, that was, you were focusing more on like the vanity of, of, of a particular type of beauty rather than, um, the, I just felt or, like, it, yeah, I, I felt yeah, like it was, was I felt like God wanted me to purge things that were distracting me from yeah, him. Okay. Gotcha. And gotcha. so I got rid of that and I, I changed a lot of the, I, I remember like, for instance, I would go to sleepovers at friends' houses and they would have a movie on. And okay. if it said Jesus name in vain, oh. I remember I would just leave the room and I would yeah. sit and like read my Bible in a different room while they watched yeah. the movie. Wow. And I eventually, because I was a little more popular in middle school. And then as I became a Christian, I just kind of didn't, people weren't really interested in that. And I was okay with that. Like I really, I I was just so joyful in the Lord and I could not stop talking about him at school. I would bring him up in the middle of class. I would write poems where I would talk about Jesus (laughs) and I would read it to my class. (laughs) And I was just, you know, and people would call me a Jesus freak and it was the best thing that that anyone could have called me. And I had a really good church at the time, a good church youth group leaders. And it was some of the best years of my life. I look back on that and just the worship nights. And it was full of a lot of emotion and zeal. And I remember thinking like, Lord, I don't want this ever to go away. And I talked to my brother and he was like, your emotion and zeal might wane, but Mm. God is still God. And, and so those were some really, really good years when I was 15. So I had always struggled with, um, since I was in sixth grade with disordered eating Mm. and, um, like I would just like stop eating for a few days and walk a ton and try to lose a lot of weight. Mm. And I had like an obsession with, I wanted to be super skinny and I was able to like, it wasn't really mastering me for the majority of 
like middle school and high school. Um, and I played sports and I was generally pretty healthy, but when I was 16, I started to engage in some of those disordered behaviors a lot more heavily. And I lost a ton of weight. Um, like I was very unhealthy. I was cold all the time. I lost my period. It was really bad, but that was, I mean, I was still desiring to walk with the Lord, but I knew that this was a sin that I was holding on to because this, it was the sin of, of control and self-harm. Um, some people will say like, oh, it's not a choice. It's, it's not a sin, but I, I was engaging in sin when I was engaging in my eating disorder. It is just, yeah. I think it's interesting. I've done a lot of these testimonies and with women, the ones that I've done with women, that seems to be a common theme. That, yeah. Like that, just the eating disorders that like that, yeah. that they just, they just stopped eating in high school or like they just stopped. They, that it's just interesting. I don't know. I'm just pointing that out. That's, I don't have anything yeah. to say about it really. It's just like, this seems like a common theme, especially with women between like now between the ages of like 18 and 30 or something like, like, they, like they, it just seems like something that happened within these generations. I would say the majority of women have had, have had that eating yeah. struggles. Interesting. I, it's very rare that I would meet a woman who hasn't. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. Some, some people don't and praise God. Yeah. Um, but that was, a, that was around age 16. It started to get a lot more disordered and there was a lot going on in that time. So just to give background, I believe I was 15 when my dad entered a deep, deep depression and tried to commit suicide and went to a mental hospital. And I can't even articulate how it affected me. Cause I never felt like it affected me. Um, but it wasn't that long after that, that I started to pick up some of my mm. disordered behaviors more heavily. So I believe it was probably a coping mechanism, but I hadn't, I wasn't dealing with anything. So I, I didn't have words for it. And, mm. um, so that was going on at that time. I was also preparing to go on a mission trip to Indonesia mm. and with, um, a very good friend. And, uh, I, I think I just picked up these eating disorders partly for vanity and also for having a sense of control. Like I can't control anything else in my life. I'm going to control food. Mm. Um, so I was, I lost a lot of weight. I was not healthy, but I went on this mission trip and it, and I continued my disordered behaviors when I was there. I was very sick. The Lord really used that trip, but it was very clear that if I, cause I wanted to be a missionary that was my life goal. I wanted to be single and go to the border of China, North Korea, and just tell people about Jesus and die young. That's all I wanted to do. And so going to Indonesia was partly like, let's see how I do on the mission field. And keep in mind, I was 16 at the time, so <laughs> very young. But I, I mean, I couldn't be my, my, I was not serving the Lord to the maximum extent possible because of these eating issues. Um, and then also I was just very, very spiritually discouraged when I was there and we went to this church. It was a Pentecostal Chinese Indonesian church on some Island and they had this call to, or it was a altar call and it was like, come up if you love Jesus and we're going to start praying for you. And it was really loud. And I felt like. I needed to go up, even though I didn't want to, I felt like I had, I had a compulsion that I had to go up because if I didn't, was I really loving God? And I just remember going up and, you know, there afterwards there was like people on the floor and it was really disturbing to me. And I went back to where I was staying that afternoon and I just like cried uncontrollably. There was something spiritual there. And I don't say that lightly, like there was something at that church, but I was I remember crying uncontrollably and 
reading some notes that people had written me. And I remember thinking like, I'm terrified of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, because that was how the Holy, the Holy Spirit was represented in this disorganized manner at this mm-hmm. church that I had gone to. And that's important later because that affects. Yeah. When you say it was something spiritual there, is that negative or positive? What, it was what, a negative, a experience. negative experience. Okay, I believe that there was yeah. what pe- people thought they were having manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That was not the Holy Spirit. Totally. Yeah. That and makes sense. I don't, because I had never, I mean, you usually I felt in control when mm-hmm. I would like cry, mm-hmm. but I just, I remember feeling like the lowest of the mm-hmm. low, like complete despair. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. It was weird. One thing that's interesting to me is that, and I guess that, that that's interesting that you like had that, you made this sort of distinction in your head about between, between like what the Holy Spirit is and what it isn't because the, it, I've always found when I was younger that it was interesting that like the two, the out of the Trinity, Christ and God, the father were like distinct persons. Oh yeah. And that the Holy Spirit just seemed to be whatever anybody wanted it to be. And I just, that can be incredibly confusing and And very, especially for young people. Yes. So that's just interesting that you, that you had, that you had made that distinction because I'm sure some people were at that same trip who think the opposite about it than, than you do. That's just interesting. Yeah. And realizing that, so that, that comes into play because when I came back from this trip, I met with my mentor and I told her like, I'm scared of the Holy spirit. Mm. I had this experience Mm-hmm. this is just so off. Mm-hmm. And she brought back all these passages about what the Bible says about the Holy spirit. He's the comforter. Mm-hmm. He's the helper. He's the advocate. And I began to understand he's a person. He's a yeah. person of the Trinity. Yeah. He's not yeah. a force. He is not right. a feeling. He's not just this elusive idea. Like yeah. he is a person that, um, and I'm still learning. There's the Holy spirit is, is such an interesting <laughs> person. Yeah. So, Gosh. There's, there's a movement right now of people calling the Holy Spirit just Holy Spirit because it takes away personhood. Like, oh. um, the people will say like, Holy Spirit is moving or like some oh. people say we are Holy Spirit. Like, well, that's a real thing. Yeah. It's super messed up, but like oh. that takes away the personhood of, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit. Yes, the definite article. Yeah, exactly. Versus the Holy Spirit denotes... Yeah. Just without the definite article right. denotes life force. Life force. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's incredibly uh, postmodern and ambi- yes. ambiguous in its core. And so it's very, that's just, uh, yeah, something I've thought about lately that yeah. I feel like connects to what you were just saying. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so this mentor, she, she wrote all these things about the Holy Spirit. And, mm-hmm. and then around that time I began to realize, cause I was still engaging in my disordered eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. I was at my like lowest, mm-hmm. I was seeing a counselor and a nutritionist. And they were like, if you don't get help, like we might have to send you to like a treatment wow. center. And I did not want that. I wanted to go to Lebanon the next year on another mission trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, it's, I want to say this is that I, like, I truly loved the Lord during all this time, mm-hmm. but I knew that I, I, I knew that there was this de- discrepancy between the way I was living and the profession that I made. And to, to other people, it didn't seem like this gross sin, mm. you know, because it, when you have like a, a mental health issue or like an eating disorder, people are more likely to pity you and not to think of it as like, mm-hmm. and I'm not making a statement about that, that's a separate conversation. But yeah. what I want to say is that I was living in a state of rebellion against God mm. because even though I had used it as a coping mechanism and there were hard things in my life, 
I was still trying to have control. I was still trying to, I was still angry at God about the way he made me. Cause I didn't like the way he made me. I was still prioritizing vanity over friendships. Someone brought me a cake for my birthday and I felt like I had to eat a piece of this cake and they left. And I remember I just collapsed on the floor and started crying because I had eaten a piece of cake. Mm. And when you're, <laughs> when it's that point and you are prioritizing yeah. that over the fellowship in the body, mm. it's really bad. So I was, I mean, I loved God and I was reading the word and, but I just felt like I cannot get out of this. And I started reading revelation <laughs> with a friend Yeah. and wow. I just remember reading about all the tribes and tongues and <laughs> worshiping God and mm. the lamb breaking the seal and Jesus riding back on a horse and like the blood being up to the reins and all this crazy stuff in revelation. How old are you at, at I was this point? seven, 16, 17. Okay. So you're point. reading revelation yeah. in high school. Yes. Dangerous. Dangerous. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> Very dangerous. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and I remember thinking in light of this, my sin is so not worth it. Mm. Like Jesus is coming back. And that I think was the turning point for healing. There was other things. I left my high school and started going to an early college so that I could focus on, so I was going to a very academically rigorous school. I left and went to a super easy, like we just sat at computers and plugged stuff in and I graduated and got my diploma and I was done. But, um, so I, so I could focus on working on healing and there was a lot of things, but I really think it was reading revelation and I was just struck like, my sin is so stupid. <laughs> like it's just not worth it. And that was when I started to heal. I started to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to eat right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to retrain my brain. And I, and I did, it was a process of retraining my brain and just telling myself, you have permission to eat. You have permission to eat. You have permission to eat until I believed it. Mm -hmm. Was, what was it about revelation specifically that made you feel like your sin was stupid. Like you were saying that you were reading like Christ is coming back, but it just, you just felt like, like, Oh, this is this thing that felt so big. This sin, like that yeah. felt so big, just maybe started to feel like it was not as big. It was as like the it was, juxtaposition of God's glory with what I thought was glorious. Oh yeah. Okay. Like I that thought it was sense. glorious to like look a certain way. Yeah. But like it's glorious to obey God. Mm-hmm. And to give your all for him and to mm -hmm. die a faithful servant. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that matters. Right, right, and right. it took something like revelation for me to see that. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to be, there's also that verse about when the son of man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Yeah. That's intense. Right. And I didn't want to be found faithless. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, it wasn't like I was questioning my salvation. I was like, you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm not worried about whether I was saved or not. I mean, I did go through a time of evaluating whether I was a true convert, which it was a, it was a good time, but it wasn't so much that it was like, I don't want a wasted life. Mm -hmm. And I'm living at this, this minimal, I'm trying to not use millennial language. <laughs> I was going to say like version of myself, but yeah. <laughs> this very, very low potential. This, this non, uh, it's a non glorified, like sanctification is is the glory you're becoming glorified from glory to glory. Yeah. yeah. So like to be, to, to I was just stuck. Yeah. I was just stuck yeah. in this, like, right. Like, yeah. 
And, and sanctification is a work of the Holy spirit as yeah. it talks about in Galatians. And so the fact that I felt like I couldn't change myself was appropriate in mm -hmm. some senses, but also I need to, to forsake my sin. Like that tension mm -hmm. is so real, mm -hmm. but so I, I started to heal. And at that time I started attending a new church. I was 17 and I did not have marriage on my mind at all. When I say I was completely oblivious, I, seriously. And I remember people would ask me, you don't want to get married. You don't have kids. And I was like, I just want to go to China and North Korea and like see North Koreans get saved and die at like 30. I'm done. Yeah. So, um, I really wasn't on my mind. And, um, I actually had written to a place in China because I wanted to get there as soon as possible. And I started attending this church and I, um, that was when I had my thought of maybe I do want to get married because <laughs> mm -hmm. there were all these eligible single young men mm -hmm. and it was not even on my radar before. So this, and I was about 17 at this time. This is when I met my husband mm -hmm. and, um, he and I did not, I, I wouldn't say we hit it off at first. I mean, I have a podcast about it. You can listen before yeah. how I met my husband. So I'm not going to go into all that. Yeah. It's a good one. It's, I've listened to it. It was fun. interesting. Right? Yeah, it was interesting. And it was also just one of the funniest. I think it's not funny. I don't ironic. It's the whole thing is ironic. Cause you were just like, I don't want to marry this guy. And then later on you were like, I really want to marry this guy. Yes, so like, I had it a just complete flipped. switch, yeah, yeah. which I will bring that up is that I believe in the power of prayer. So mm -hmm. I remember thinking, cause I met Alexander mm -hmm. and I went home that night and told my sister, I met this guy and I feel like God wants me to marry him, but I don't want to marry him. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister was like, God's not going to make you marry someone that you don't want to marry. Mm -hmm. So just pray about it. And I had dated someone else. So I was trying to, I was probably just, yeah. I'll put a link in the description yeah. to that episode. Thank so you. people can go look at it and listen to it. But it was, I think January of 2017, 16. And, um, I had just gone through a breakup and it was incredibly painful but I remember going to an event and I saw Alexander because I had prayed, Lord, if you, if you do want me to marry him, I need to be attracted to him. And I just remember being like, whoa, where, where did you come from? So, um, yes, prayer, prayer works. And so that was around the time I met my husband. And I'm going to go back to the Pentecostal church in Indonesia because I started attending a more liturgical church and it was like healing because I was, I was still very bothered by that experience where worship was this chaotic mm. thing that was kind of just all about your emotions. And it was kind of whatever you wanted it to be. It was man-centered. Mm. And I started attending this church where we were singing these hymns about God's glory and his mercy and our redemption and how we're undeserving and he loves us anyway. And it wasn't me centered. And it was actually very difficult at first because I was used to having my emotions with the music really strum up. And I remember feeling very little when I started attending this church because um, even though the hymns were beautiful and the music was lovely, I was so used to hmm. more, more external things facilitating my emotions. So but that's when I began to, I would say that's, that's maybe the, uh, the second age of <laughs> my sanctification, because prior to that, I 
had so much zeal for the Lord and I did have theology. Like I was listening to sermons. I was listening to like Paul Washer and John Piper and I was eating that up and, and getting a lot of that. And, but when I attended this church and I was hearing expositional teaching from mm. the Bible in, in a new way, that's when it's kind of entered, like the intellect kind of entered the chat because, mm. but prior to that, it was a very emotional experience with God. And so I actually struggled a lot because then I became incredibly cerebral, incredibly intellectual. Mm. All my friends were that way in my new church. And I had to find that worship and spirit and truth mm-hmm. place. Um, because yeah, it, cause not knowledge puffs up, knowledge I mean, puffs up, but love yeah. builds up. And mm-hmm. when we are to love the Lord with our heart, soul, mm-hmm. mind and strength, like not just mind. So, mm-hmm. so that was 20, 2016, 2015, 2016, 2017, when I was going to that church, uh, starting a relationship with Alexander, um, working on finishing college. And I, I was really struggling at this point because I, um, so I had recovered from my eating disorder, but then I had entered the opposite problem where I was like binge eating and it was almost an uncontrollable thing. And like, I, I look at pictures from that time. I like hardly recognize myself. Like I was like 20, 25 pounds heavier. And Mm. it was part of it was like, I had finally given myself permission to eat. And so I just went crazy. But part of it was also, I was emotional eating and Mm. all this kind of stuff. Um, and so I'm like, now am I just going up to present day? Is this what we're doing? (laughs) But I I look at, so, um, (laughs) During that time, that was around when I married my husband. And um, I look back at my testimony, and I think this is everyone's testimony, is Mm -hmm. a series of trying to find satisfaction in fulfillment in anything but God. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, one of my major ones was food, whether it was restricting my food or it was like, I'm just going to eat a tub of ice cream because I can and Mm -hmm. I'm sad. And... It's my comfort food. My that's comfort that's what everybody said. <laughs> <laughs> I I still have I still love ice cream as a comfort yeah, food, but the difference yeah. is now I'll eat a bowl and then I'll move on with my right, life. Right. And I wasn't doing yeah. that at the time. Yeah. And um it's I think another thing too that people can relate to is like you're always trying to find your identity, it's the expressive individualist stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're like, okay, who am I? And like the person that I am, how does she dress? So I'm yeah. like try to dress it or like, I want to be different. And you're always searching for an identity. And when I got married, I got married at 20. I, my husband, I started dating at 19, met him at 17. And I'm not saying like, Oh, I found my identity in being a wife. I found my identity in Christ, Mm -hmm. but that was, I never dreamed of getting married that young. I legitimately didn't think I was going to get married. And I thought if I was going to get married, maybe I would be like 30 and I met someone in China and he was going to be Asian. And I had this whole thing. So it was, that's irrelevant, but (laughs) I never dreamed of getting married. I never dreamed of getting married when I did. And so I I look back on like, what was God doing? Because it was so beyond, it was not my plan whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Becoming a mom was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. And I see how much like growing up and sanctification the Lord did through that. I truly believe if I hadn't gotten married when I did, I would have kind of just 
kind of just wandered in what I thought was like this really fulfilling single life of like, I'm just going to travel and I'm just going to do this. And like, there can be amazing God glorifying singleness, but I think I overestimated my own, my holiness in one sense. Like and I thought like celibacy is not common biblically. It's not. Even. And it's like, people will be like, yeah, well, I'm just going to be single right now. And it's like, they're 22 years old. They are at the peak of their sexual like, and fertility. Should, fertility. Yeah. They should be having children. Yeah. And so it's like, probably doesn't make sense for somebody to be single at that age, right. unless they're specifically called to celibacy. Yes. Yeah. And and I did think. I say probably. Yeah. Probably. There you, are some, some people who are supposed to be single. Yes. I just, yeah. I, but I think that that's something that I hear all the time too in the church. I am like, it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get married at 32 or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think I was going to get married at 20, yeah. but, um, praise God I did. How old is Alexander? 26. Okay. So he's six years old. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he has his own thing. Cause he was single, obviously much longer than me. Yeah. And at that point was probably like, uh, probably going to be single cause there's no women that are really, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it, anyway, listen to that podcast. It's yeah. a fun one. It's good. Um, but, but yeah, I guess that's, that's my testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the Lord continued to do a lot of work in my marriage mm-hmm. and, and it's still a work in progress. The testimony ends when I die. Right. <laughs> so, but that's the beginning. Okay. But also I think people want to know, I would assume people want to know, how then did you come into this like feminine, not feminist Instagram stuff? Like where did that all come from? So like you, you, like you get married. Now you're a wife. You've had a kid. I don't know. I don't even know when the feminine, not feminist stuff started. It started before you had your kid. Yes. Okay. And so t- explain, I suppose, explain, um, I guess I'm wondering of wh- what was that process? Like you, you say you're married, you're then you start this Instagram account yeah. because like now, like nobody would care, you know, like th- that, like your like nobody, like many well, people are going to be listening to this and yeah. not those, those people would be listening to this if you weren't feminine, not feminist on, on Instagram. And so not that nobody would care. That was aggressive. Um, people no, would care. I'm, I'm a nobody. It's really okay. <laughs> so go from, from that point to starting this account to like what you're trying to do in yeah. all of, all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is going to get personal, but I had a very intense struggle when I first got married. Mm. And, um, I, I think a problem that a lot of us have is we overestimate our sanctification. Mm. We think we're farther than we are. And the Bible even tells us, let every man take heed. If anyone thinks he stands, lest he fall. Mm. And that let, you know, don't think higher of yourself than you're supposed to think with sober judgment. Yeah. And I did not have sober judgment, partly because. I grew up in a very affirmative household, mm-hmm. but I'm, I've always been praised for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I really had taken those things to my head and to my heart. And I thought better of myself than was warranted. And, um, so I enter marriage and I quickly realized that like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like one of my biggest struggles that I've talked about was laziness. Mm. And I was just, I was so lazy 
And I think people think like, I'll enter this new stage of life and like, I'll have all these wonderful attributes will just mm-hmm. pop up. But it's yeah. like, if you're not a good employee, right. you're not going to be a hardworking stay at home right. wife, stay at home right. mom. Yeah. You, yeah. you need to be faithful where you are. Right. But I didn't, I didn't realize I, I'm going to get married and yeah. I'm just going to be like, best People, wife ever. <laughs> they always make the argument of like motivation. It's like, well, at work, I don't really care because whatever. But like once I get married and I have a husband that I want and that I love and all this, or I have the wife that I want, I'm going, then I'm going to change because I'm going to care more. Yeah. And you realize like a year into marriage that you're like, yeah, that that maybe lasts like six months. Then you just, you're just like, you go back to the old habits of who you were because your care, like if you have a weak character, it's going to expose itself. That's how that works. So then you either resign yourself to that or you say, I'm going to change. Yeah. Like you become a better liar or a better Christian. Yeah. Is the way I've heard it said. That's I didn't, really good. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> I heard it in a wedding toast. Okay. <laughs> anyway. That's good though. Yeah. I mean, that's true. You yeah. become a better liar or you become a better Christian. Mm. And I think I've done both. I mean, mm. I do, what I'm saying is. Oh, this whole testimony was a lie. No, <laughs> <laughs> Meaning I, I definitely, I've definitely masked a mm. lot of my issues. And mm. when you just, when people think. People, yeah, I, I was used to getting a lot of praise and a lot of clout, I guess. Just, yeah. If people sometimes mistake intelligence for godliness. Yeah. And that has been huge. Right. Um, It's like, I can talk for hours about theology, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. like, if I can't even vacuum my house when my husband wants me to vacuum the house before he comes home, none of that matters. Or like... You could talk for hours on theology, but if you can't go out and actually proclaim the gospel to sinners and people who need to know who Christ is, then you, then your theology is all worthless. Like it's all, right. you just have a bad, you're not doing Christianity. You're yeah. just talking about it. And I think that that's something that I've felt convicted about in my life too. Cause I'm like, yeah, we have all these podcasts and these platforms and all this crap. And it's like, people will be like, well, that's me sharing the gospel. It's like, no, you need to do and talk to human beings in real life and tell them about Jesus and then develop a relationship and disciple them into the, into the faith. Yeah. And that's really difficult in this time because of all of the media distractions. We think like social media is our, that's our evangelism. And it's like, (laughs) no, it's not. Yeah. That's like, it's a form of resource. It's like, it's not evangelism though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was 20 when we got married and I quickly Mm -hmm. realized I was very lazy. I was also working at a grocery store at the time and I think that was one of the best things for me because mm. I, I learned like just whatever I did, do it to the glory of God, mm. including organizing the candy shelf, like do it for the Lord. Yeah. And cause I didn't have kids at this time and I wanted to have kids and, uh, but my husband wanted to wait. And so we were you know waiting and, but, um, all these issues began to surface that mm. I thought were not going to be issues, um, because I had overestimated how sanctified I was, um, really started struggling with like lust and adulterous thoughts. And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking before I got married, like, that's so cringy. Like who thinks that? Mm -hmm. Um, but then I started like at the grocery store I was working out and I was like, what, what is this? Um, my laziness, my, um, bitterness, which I've talked extensively Mm -hmm. about on my page, but just, just this like ferocious bitterness that I had towards my husband, and just even though I believed in my head in submission, I, <clears throat> I just wanted to control. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so Feminine Not Feminist was born out of, I actually had a friend that gave me a couple books and I, I, I was kind of at this point in my marriage where I was like, this is, you know, I'm disappointed. This isn't what I thought it would be. And why do I feel this way towards my husband? Like I love him, but I hate him. And it's just, mm. it's awful. Um, and my friend gave me a book called the abusive wife. <laughs> and this is like wow. a single friend <laughs> in her thirties who was just like, yeah. you should read this. And I remember reading it and there's a chapter about bitterness mm-hmm. and about how, if you do not destroy bitterness, like it will, it will kill your marriage before adultery will. It will mm-hmm. kill your marriage before abuse will. Horrible things can also destroy marriage. But mm-hmm. the point being like bitterness is, it talks about in Hebrews, the root of bitterness that springs up and mm-hmm. by it, many become defiled. Mm-hmm. So I read that chapter and I was like, that's me. Mm-hmm. I'm the bitter wife. Um, and I also, <clears throat> I, I, women are used to hearing about how amazing they are because you're a woman and feminism and to recognize that women were just as capable of being extremely toxic spouses and that a lot of abuse comes from women and, um, and that discontentment, it can like start off as like, oh, I'm discontent about this thing. And then it turns into this, this, this monster, this weed. Mm-hmm. And, um, people think like, oh, I can keep my sin under control. But the way I heard it described was like sin, sin always has like death in mind. Like the small sin, mm-hmm. it's always the, the end goal is death. Yeah. Right. So, and, and the death of the marriage as well. So yeah. I was super bitter and, um, yeah. Like the death of you and the death of everything in its path. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and Proverbs talks about this. Um, so super bitter, read this book mm. and you know, I don't have this story of like, that at that moment I stopped (laughs) being this way because it's never how it is. I mean, you know, sometimes by God's grace, there are, you know, like, you know, I remember my dad telling me like he became a person, he like flushed his drugs down the toilet or whatever. Like, and there's that kind of thing. But like, I had been a Christian for so long and I, at that point felt like I'm more sinful now than I than I've ever been mm-hmm. yet. I was more sanctified. And that's the mystery of sanctification is you feel like I'm so much worse. <laughs> well, I think it's because in your, in your sanctification, you probably you're because you're closer to God and understanding him and his character, you recognize sin in your life more, but you're able to kill it also. And, and you're able a, to repent and not be right. Weighed down in shame. Right. So, but, but it's never this, instantaneous thing. And, and so I would say that that's when I began the, the process of mm-hmm. learning what it meant to be a good wife to my husband. Mm-hmm. And that meant like gentleness and like li- being a, a listener <laughs> as opposed to just like shutting him down every time he wanted to say something that mm-hmm. I disagreed with, just shut him down. No, being a listener, being gentle. Um, and, and anyway, I talk about all that stuff on my page, But it, it, um, I read that book and I also had this moment where my husband and I had this like fight in the car and I remember feeling so low. There was like raining outside and I went and like rolled in a pile of mud, which I don't recommend, but like, I'm very much all about like, you know how in the Bible they like have sackcloth and ashes and like, there's like 
mourning is like expressed physically, like mm-hmm. you shave your head and you pull and your you beard rip or whatever. Your off and yeah. It's <laughs> so like, that was yeah. kind of my version of that. Like you I was just in, like rolled in the mud. I rolled yeah. in the mud. Yeah. <laughs> and um. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Not saying I recommend it, but. Yeah. And that was, I would say, my lowest of my low. And I, I was like, I can't keep living like this. Like, I can't keep trying to have control and mm-hmm. and um and being so bitter and hateful and yeah. and angry all the time. And so then I that was in probably March. Mm-hmm. And I read in First Peter, March of 2020, I read in First Peter three, where it talks about wives being subject to their own husbands. And it talks about Sarah obeying Abraham and calling him Lord and how that the women adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And I mean, it was just like so countercultural. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. But I really started to take it literally. Mm-hmm. And um, the way it was written. Oh, like calling my husband Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I called him lowercase Lord for a little bit in my phone. My, my dad always makes that joke to my mom. He's like, in the Bible, you, you have to call me Lord. It's just funny. <laughs> and, and and again, for those listening, like Lord being like not master, which yeah. also people would be like, does, oh, that's not, weird. Not Yahweh. Not like Yahweh. In not, the Old Testament, Lord has been substituted for Yahweh. Often. Like I am under I mean, his authority. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And yeah. and so, and then having that attitude, because you're like saying it and it's like, that's the attitude I have. Like I belong to my husband and like, yeah, I'm under his authority. And mm. I think anyway, so um, taking that seriously and also like, to go back to the rolling in the mud mm-hmm. thing, like for me, when I <laughs> am going through a mental change mm-hmm. or a spiritual change, I have to manifest that physically. Like if I'm like grieving my sin, then I'm like, I remember like I went and like got all this like super like plain clothes. Like I looked really probably very like dowdy or whatever the word mm-hmm. is, a drab, because I was drab, like, I'm yeah. mourning my sin and I need to like dress in a way that like reflects that. Mm-hmm. That's just how I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. there were, I look back at that time. I was like, those outfits were terrible, but <laughs> anyway, it was, it was a time of repentance and it's mm-hmm. appropriate that repentance is accompanied by like a kind of humility, mm-hmm. um, an outward inward humility. Yeah. And I, um, started the page. So that was in March that I rolled in the mud and I started the page in June and the name of the page was 2020. Okay. Yeah. This is again before I had my son. Yeah. But, um, I, (laughs) I met the name of my page before I started it was radical submission. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And that did. I'm glad you did not do that. (laughs) That is, that is very, very Christian, like very like, we're going to do this radical submission. Yeah, that's that's good. That's like very youth group. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Okay. I you was thinking what? in terms of like, I'm going to submit to my husband. No, <laughs> like, no, no. I, yeah. Just the way that like anytime that you feel oh, like radical. radical in front of anything. It yeah. Just well, there's that book me. radical. That was like a big yeah, deal. And, yeah, Who, yeah. That? Who wrote that? David Platt. Platt. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with David Platt. Maybe there is. Maybe you don't. No, like and that book I read when I was like, but then I had to realize like not all of life is like Radical. underground house yeah. churches in China. Right. If I end up there, then yes, it yeah. is. But um, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm so glad you did not keep that. Well, there. and so it was, it was radical submission. And I was like, that's a little extreme. And so I changed yeah. it to feminine, not feminist. And yeah. I mean, if you go back and look at like my first stuff, like it really reflects 
where I was at the time. Like the first picture I put of myself, I had this, like, I looked like it was like almost like an Orthodox kind of head covering. And, um, I've become a lot more just like relaxed in certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but it was an accurate representation of where I was at. And I was just like, dang, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just so done, like living my own way. Mm -hmm. And I want to say this too, like, it's not, again, it's not like you reach a point and you're like, it's only up from here. Like sanctification is, and I've had some low lows and Mm. some high highs since that. Um, but that's how feminine not feminist got started. And, and it's funny when I look back at my testimony, God was preparing me for this. Um, but I had never even considered like marriage or motherhood as even being part Mm -hmm. of the things I would remotely like think about or talk about in my Mm -hmm. life. Like it was God just let me be almost like blissfully ignorant of it my entire life. Mm -hmm. And then when it was time, it was time. Right. And yeah. (laughs) I think two things coming to my head. First one is like your testimony says a lot about what sanctification is. I think people think, Sanctification is just one glorious Christian step after the next. And you're just constantly opening up new doors and God's like, welcome to the next level of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is, and that's not what it is in your testimony. Also, that's not really what it is in the Bible. Like sanctification is the, um, my phone's ringing. I'll cut this out. Weird. Um, sanctification is the, it's, it's a means by which the Holy Spirit brings you into godliness. I think that that's... And makes you more like Christ. Right, exactly. And I think that that's like not always... It doesn't always seem to be glorious to us. And it it can be very low and very difficult and very hard. Then the other thing is that I was thinking was your testimony is great, but some of it speaks to the testimony of your husband. And like, I'm, I don't, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like he maybe was like a very patient guy and was very, (laughs) because am I wrong about that? Or Yeah. I no, uh, you're not wrong. Um, Not that you were like the worst person ever, but it's just like, I'm sure through some of this, he was probably like, okay, what, like what is going on? I need to be patient. And And that's like a very, I think it's really hard, especially in marriage to like look at your spouse and want, and to know who they could be and to not push too hard and allow for the Holy spirit to work within them to bring them to that. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know. It sounds like Alexander was like that yeah. to you. He is. And I'm not going to go into like all the dynamics of our sure. marriage because yeah. yeah, we both have our issues, but yeah, um, he was very patient. And I would say the thing that stands out to me is that like I would come and ask for forgiveness and mm-hmm. it's just like immediate yeah, forgiveness and reconciliation never withholding forgiveness from me mm-hmm. or like lording it over. Like, well, you did mm-hmm. this, you know, last week. Right. Like I'm still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like he really, he sees forgiveness as a one and done thing. The yeah. way that God sees it. Right. You're forgiven. It's yeah. off your record. Right. And that is mm-hmm. how my husband has always treated me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, okay, well, right. we don't talk about that anymore because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, Which that's is, an amazing yeah. quality. Right. So, I'm going to ask you a cringy Christian question. Okay. Cringy Christian question. Um, if you had to think of like one verse or passage that summed up your testimony, what is it? That's not necessarily cringy. Mm-hmm. It's just like 
you know, but what is that? What what is the, you know, this is off the top of your head, so it doesn't have to be perfect. But I have a few that come to mind. Then yeah, what are they? Um, so I think about in I believe it's First Corinthians two or three, I think two. But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us oh. who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hmm. And yeah. I'm like, you, you come to Christ, you have to resign yourself to being a fool by the world's mm-hmm. standards. And once you accept that, like there's a song by Michael Card called God's Own Fool. I love mm-hmm. that song. And like, he's like, um, uh, what is it? believe the, uh, come be a fool as well. Like, I just love that invitation yeah. of like fools for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him because it was understanding Christ's righteousness in me. Mm. That was a huge turning point in my sanctification. I remember I was going to college and I was reading Romans <laughs> uh, yeah. at the library. Yeah. And I remember I just, it hit me. I was like, I'm righteous. And I just started crying and yeah. I called my sister and I was like, Heidi, I'm righteous. <laughs> like, and yeah. it was just, it was huge. Yeah. And, um, understanding the imputed righteousness of Christ Yeah. and what that means for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like who, and then there was one more that came to mind. Uh, well, I would say, I mean, there's just the whole Bible, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Genesis through revelation. Genesis yeah. Through, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then in first Peter three, for my marriage and um you know i have been crucified with christ nevertheless i live mm-hmm. yet not i but christ liveth in me mm-hmm. and the life i now live i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's my testimony that's a story cool well we should wrap this up i guess um yeah. If you want to hear more about this, there's obviously you did a podcast on how you and your husband met. I'll put that link in the description. Um, if you're listening to this on the Optive Theology podcast, I'll put a link in the description to the Feminine Not Feminist podcast, which is Annalise's podcast. Um, and then vice versa. If yeah. you like testimonies and things like that, we have a bunch on the Optive Theology podcast. Um, and you can we can put a link in that. Uh, for for your podcast, the Feminine Not Feminist podcast. Okay, but if you like this, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, leave us a review, give us a five-star rating, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. Goodbye.